Bini, which is welcome in Papiamento, which Papiamento, like I had to really actually do some research on what language that is. It's a Creole language spoken in Aruba in the Netherlands Antilles. So I really dug deep for this one. So welcome, everybody, to the Daddy Unscripted podcast. My name is Tim Wheaton. I am the podcast creator and the host. And today I'm very excited to have just sat down and recorded with Sam Jennings. And that is who this episode will be with talking about his dad, his stepdad, and his being a dad to his now 15-year-old daughter. So... Sam Jennings, some of you are like, okay, Sam Jennings, why does that sound familiar? And it is because Sam Jennings worked for and with Prince for nine years back in the early 2000s and previous to that a little bit as well, and then worked with Pearl Jam for like two and a half years uh, in Seattle. And he is a web designer and kind of did all this internet stuff with both of those bands, um, helping them with their websites and getting their music to their fans in new and unique ways, etc., etc., which we will talk a little bit about in this episode and we'll talk a lot about in his next episode, which will come out in a couple of weeks after this. But in this episode, we talk a little bit about his being a dad and how he did does that successfully while he is doing all of these fantastic jobs with these big bands and in these different areas of the United States, etc. So with no further ado, let's get right to this conversation with Sam Jennings. We are here today with Sam Jennings in person, in the flesh, uh, very excited to have Sam here on the podcast. Sam can be found online. Is, is your site samjennings.com? Yes, that's right. And you scored because you got your .com. Your yeah. Twitter is Sam Jennings. You didn't have to be like <laughs> the real Sam Jennings or anything like that. Right. Yeah, that's one of the benefits of being an early adopter for the internet stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You get rushed right in there. Yeah. From there, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff. Okay, cool. Uh, so... Sam, you may know of because of his internet genius, basically, and web design, the man behind much of Prince's website work, um, as well as tour work. And, you know, I worked for him for about nine years, so uh, I wound up doing a lot of stuff for him. So there were um, several CDs, several tours, a lot of uh, merchandise and photo retouching, like pretty much anything you could think of in a period of time. Awesome. So we'll, we'll, we'll get more into that into the next episode. And also working with Pearl Jam yep. or worked with Pearl Jam. Is that still going on or? No, I worked for them for a couple of years after Prince. Okay. In Seattle. And then spent a couple of years at Microsoft. And then that brings me down here to LA. Yeah. And that is with Microsoft that you are in LA or you are? No, I decided I had enough of Microsoft. So I yeah. <laughs> came down to LA and currently I'm working for Ebony. Ebony Magazine. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. So what are you doing with them? Are you doing website stuff or are you doing print stuff as well? I'm doing a little bit of print, but mostly I'm on their digital and marketing team. So uh, Ebony, like a lot of old media, they're kind of in a transition right now. Mm -hmm. They have new owners as of about a year ago. So 
they're trying to decide, you know, how they want to rebrand themselves kind of for this generation for millennials and what does Ebony mean in 2017? So I'm part of the group that's figuring that out and trying wow. to approach Ebony as more of a brand as opposed to a magazine. Yeah, that's intense. Yeah, it'll be interesting. And there's no guarantees we're going to be able to do it. But uh, it's a, it's an interesting problem to try and solve. Yeah. So you are now in L.A. Mm-hmm. and you were raised, born and raised where? I was actually born in San Francisco. Oh, okay. But I uh, moved to Chicago when I was five. So I grew up in Chicago. I lived there for 33 years. Oh, wow. And that was a parent job move that took you guys there? Yeah. Or? Okay. yeah. So my my parents split up when I was probably about three or so in San Francisco. Hmm. And my mom remarried, and I moved to Chicago with her and my stepfather. Oh, okay. And your dad stayed in, he stayed in San, San Francisco, Francisco. Mm-hmm. and is there to this day? He lived there for about 40 years, and uh, not too long ago, he moved to Manhattan. So he's living in New York right now. Wow. And did he remarry or no? He did remarry, and I have a brother and sister on that side of the family. But he's also divorced a second time, and now is um, with a third woman he's been with for a long time, and they live together in Manhattan. So let's go back then, now that I've really made that a fantastic segue. It's (laughs) it's a gift, right? now. So let's go back to like I said, to your dad or beyond, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense, for your relationship with him and with seeing what being a dad is all about. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, my pretty much my whole family grew up in Michigan. So my my father grew up in a small town in Michigan. His father was a pharmacist in that town. It was a really tiny town. And he went to school at the University of Michigan. That's where he met my mother. So my mother grew up in Grand Rapids. So pretty much all of all of my parents' family is is all born raised Michigan people. Hmm. Um, so very Midwestern roots. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it was interesting. Uh, they they met in college during this you know late sixties. So it was a very volatile time. A lot of um, a lot of things going on, obviously with the war and all that. So. They both sort of went to leftist politics during that period of time, and I think that's what motivated them to move together to San Francisco mm-hmm. to kind of be a part of the left-wing political movements that were going on in the late 60s, early 70s. So that's how I wound up being born there in 1971. But, uh, yeah, I remember my, my dad would have a lot of arguments with his dad when I would be visiting sometimes, <laughs> you know, just because my grandfather, you know, he's a – pharmacist in a small town in Michigan. He had very conservative views, obviously. And, um, you know, they would love to fight about it for some reason. Yeah. I, I didn't really understand that. <laughs> like no one's going to be changing their minds here. So I'm not sure what, what the goal was exactly, but right. But yeah, I mean, uh, his, his parents were together the whole time. They never split up. Mm. Um, they wound up dying when I was in high school, like about a week apart from each other. Oh, wow. Kind of, uh, that sort of you know cliche old couple thing where both of, natural causes or yes. yeah, yeah okay yeah. where one dies and the other one soon follows yeah um, and that was probably when he was probably close to my age actually mm-hmm. but yeah growing up with my dad I since I was in Chicago I didn't really see him a whole lot mm-hmm. he was he was on the west coast and uh, didn't really have much money so he wasn't really flying me out very often I'd probably see him every other year mm-hmm. I would say and your only child or only child from that okay. marriage. Oh, so right, right, right. Yeah. The, the household that I grew up with, my mom, my stepfather, they had a, they had another kid. So I have a half brother who I grew up with who was about seven years younger than me. Okay. 
What about your relationship with your stepfather? Was that basically like a smooth transition or was it something where it was the cliche of, I'm never going to call him dad. <laughs> you know, I, I think, you know, having them split up when I was so young, that mm-hmm. probably worked to my advantage because I never really thought of them as a couple. Like in, in, in thinking back in my memories, I don't remember them being a married couple ever. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, my earliest memories are my mom with my stepfather and he was a really great guy and um, always treated me, you know, exceptionally well. So, I had no complaints and mm-hmm. it was never a thing of, um, you know, I, this is wrong or I wish my parents would get back together. Um, it, you know, I understood that I had a father and I had a stepfather and what that was, but it never really seemed like an issue to me, like mm-hmm. a problem. Right. Uh, just seemed normal. Yeah. Cause that's all I can really remember. Cause by the time I was three, four or five, whatever, they were already together and that's just the way it was. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to go through that teenage rebellion. I'm going to live with my dad. Right. No, that didn't happen. Um, I had a cousin who his parents split up when he was about 16. Mm -hmm. And even though, you know, they weren't a close couple and it was pretty clear that they were going to split up. Like he was still very upset about it. And I think I've heard from other people too, like it can hit you harder when that becomes more the norm. Like you're, even though the couple isn't really, close or what you would call a good relationship they still that's normal for them and so when that northern is a split they get more upset about it than people kind of expect mm-hmm. whereas for me yeah wasn't it wasn't an issue yeah and so did you when you were going out and your dad would have you come out to the west coast were you spending a lot of time like were you spending a whole summer out here or was it just a very small amount of time so you were a lot more acclimated to your stepdad and that relationship than hanging out with your dad Mm -hmm. and thinking, Hmm, this is something I could see myself doing. And when I graduate or whatever, uh, when I was in, uh, elementary school, like, uh, I would, it was pretty infrequent. So what would happen usually is that my father would come visit his parents in Michigan and Mm -hmm. then I would come along on that visit since, Mm -hmm. since, since it was closer. And that happened pretty much every other year. I'd go see him and my grandparents and that side of the family in Michigan. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I got to high school, that's when I started coming out more often to the West Coast. And so I would spend like a month or two Mm -hmm. out in San Francisco. And I'd have friends out there that I would see every summer. And um, we did that pretty much every year during during high school. Mm -hmm. And then you said that you still have a good relationship with your dad. What about with your stepdad now? Oh yeah, yeah. My uh, my stepdad, and my mom are still together. They've been married over forty years. So, um, yeah, they're a really good example of a stable, healthy relationship mm-hmm. in my life, which is great. Yeah, and uh, no, he's he's been great the whole time. So we, I still have a good relationship with everybody. And do they have a relationship at all? Your mom and your dad, and your stepdad and your dad, or did that kind of not really need to? grow or continue after you turned 18 or whatever right no they don't have a relationship no yeah i don't i don't think they ever speak or anything like that oh, okay um you know I, I don't think they communicated very much even when i was younger mm-hmm. um yeah it was kind of like you're you're there we're here that's good enough <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah there's there's so many people that i know that are that went through that kind of thing and you have the 
balance of discipline and, Mm -hmm. you know, keep trying to keep as many things consistent as possible. And it sounds like that wasn't really a concern of theirs very much. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think other people probably have a, have more of a situation where like, you know, every other weekend you're spending it with a a different parent. So I never had that. Yeah. So it it was pretty much like I was in my mom's household and that's just the way it was. Yeah. And my dad had to follow whatever she set forward for that. Right. Yeah. And what did your stepdad do for a living? He was a accountant and a bookkeeper. Oh, so for, sort of freelancing for a lot of different companies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, my my mom, my stepdad never went anything kind of what you would call creative. But mm-hmm. uh, my father actually got into the music industry. He he still is a producer for events. Hmm. So what he does is uh, for the Bay Area, he pretty much knew every band in the Bay Area that has ever played anything. So. A lot of times people would come to him and say, hey, we want to book this festival. We want this kind of music. We want this kind of band. And he'd present them with like five of five options that were all really great. And mm-hmm. So he just kind of knew all these people and he'd put together these festivals and be, and be a stage manager and all these kind of things. He did that for years and years in wow. the Bay Area. And so did that kind of rub off on you, do you think, with your interest in the music industry? I mean, I, kn- I know we'll get into that a little bit more, but did you kind of, I know you were working in web design before mm-hmm. you kind of started working with prints or with bands. Were you kind of leaning in that direction? Did you always see that as part of the arc for that or no? I think it was kind of a broader creative leaning. So I I never considered myself a musician. I never really had much of an aptitude for playing instruments, but mm-hmm. as far as artistic expression was concerned, I kind of saw a way forward that way. So mm-hmm. Um, I had always been interested in art and visual arts in particular. So, you know, just kind of being around cultural experiences like that, I think mm-hmm. was an influence and kind of opened up, opened my eyes up to like, there are people out there in the world making a living, doing creative things that aren't necessarily on the level of a Prince or Madonna, but still able to do something that they are fulfilled at. And Chicago is clearly a very good space for that as well. Yeah, it's got a great music scene. Um, when I was in high school, there was the alternative music and industrial scene, mm-hmm. which was really kind of centered in Chicago, Nine Inch Nails, Ministry, but Front 242, bands like that, which I was really kind of tied into and, and running around as a high school kid enjoying. So um, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of fun stuff in Chicago. Yeah. And so when you went through from high school, where did you go to college? The School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Oh, okay. So did you know exactly what you were wanting to do when you started school there or? No, I started school, you know, it's the school connected to the museum. So I started there doing painting, a little more traditional mm. art. Um, and I had been doing painting for a while, but, you know, going, that's how I got into the school was applying through painting. So uh, more of the traditional messy arts. And then once I got there, that's when the internet was first becoming a thing in the mid nineties. So mm-hmm. As the internet was becoming something commercial and mainstream, you know, I in school we were kind of gravitating towards that too. Like how to use computers as an artistic tool, how to use them to express yourself, how to use the internet to express yourself as an artist, mm-hmm. uh, which was all really interesting to me. And and this, you know, technology that we had then, of course, now looks archaic, but at the time, yeah. it, was, it was really interesting. Like, oh, you can actually use a computer to design, you know, all kinds of things. Desktop publishing was becoming a thing at the time as well. So. You know, go, kind of going from this old school way of doing things with cutting and pasting stuff and doing everything by hand to do, doing everything digital 
uh, it was really great to be in school and, and being able to have tools to learn all that stuff. One, one part of that also is that there weren't a lot of things kind of set up to do things for you. Like now you can kind of go to things like Squarespace or WordPress and they do a lot of the backend things for you. But at the time you really had to kind of, you had to know how to hand code stuff. Like mm-hmm. you had to like build it yourself or it wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. So kind of having that do it yourself, um, attitude about it really helped me later on because I wasn't intimidated to kind of get my fingers dirty and, and dig into something and actually get in there and hand code stuff. And sometimes designers, especially, I think they get a little bit freaked out by technology. Like, I don't want to know how, I don't want to know how the car works. I just want to drive it. Right. Whereas like, I was a little more like, no, I want to figure this out. Like, how do, how do you actually build this? How can I actually make this website myself and not rely on anybody else? And I, that definitely came in handy working for Prince for sure. Yeah. He was probably the one who just wanted the car to go. He, yeah. He, well, he was also a captain do it yourself. Like he, he wanted to do everything in house and not rely on other people and other outside right. things. And he needed you to kind of figure things out. He, he didn't want people around who were just going to go like, I don't know, not my job. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is probably why the circle was so small during mm-hmm. that time. Right. Well, plus not that much was, I mean, not that many people around him were delving into that kind of stuff right not that early on either no so who was your support i mean when you're going to school and you are doing creative things were you still living at home with your mom and your stepdad at that time uh no i was living in chicago living in uh wicker park mostly which was Mm. kind of the up-and-coming neighborhood at that time it's gone, it's gone full on, full on yuppie now. But yeah. <laughs> at the time it was still a little sketch, a little sketch on the edges. Yeah. Um, so I was living in that area. That's kind of, that was kind of the arts community at the time. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of people from the school that living in that area. And did you have a, a group of like-minded friends that you were hanging out with and were you guys trying different things together and bouncing ideas off each other and creating, or was it more of a solitude kind of thing? <laughs> Yeah, I, I did. Uh, I did have a couple groups of friends that were kind of into different things. There were some people that were more on the poetry side, some that were more on the music side. So people were kind of interested in experimenting with doing things themselves. We'd have parties sometimes where everyone would kind of like get up and do something. Either it was a poem or a song or a skit or some kind of art performance. We'd do things like that. Mm-hmm. And then later on, I connected with a group of guys who were also interested in internet stuff as well. So we'd kind of all do, you know, nerd out and sit around on computers and, and you know, show each other websites and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, stuff that you, this is, this predates even like search engines. So I'm talking right. about a time where like, if there was a cool website, someone had to tell you about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was actually living in Europe in 94 when email was still like barely anything anybody was doing. And mm-hmm. and honestly, like I think the only reason I really knew about it uh, was because I was living at a university mm-hmm. uh, with a girl I was dating. And so they had a university email right. Right. and my friends that I was emailing, most of them had either just left college or were in college. But I don't think anybody I know had like even an AOL account right. at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but they probably do now still. <laughs> yeah, probably. 
Every once in a while, we'll see somebody that has an AOL account yeah. and we'll have a good laugh with I them. I see that too. And I'm thinking, wow, like, <laughs> yeah, who are you still getting assistance yeah. from? <laughs> yeah. You have yet to find a better alternative. Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then you are there and going to school and you graduate. And how does your road lead you to you becoming a parent? Well, um, you know, after after college, I got into doing web design because mm-hmm. you know, going to art school, they don't really t- they don't really give you much clue as to how to make a living. They're just kind of like, well, you can probably be a professor at, at another art school, mm-hmm. and that's how you might make money. But you know, the web design thing because it was so new and because I was really interested in, and enjoyed doing it, we we're like, well, let's do that. And I, I connected with some group, another group of guys who were doing it independently, and then I connected with a company and started working for them. So. You know, it really kind of turned into a career, which was great. Um, so I didn't have to go the starving artist route, mm-hmm. uh, which was nice. You know, and that led to um, working with Prince. And uh, I met my wife while I was doing these Prince events in Chicago. Mm. Uh, she was from, my ex-wife, I should say. <laughs> she was from Detroit. Mm-hmm. And she had moved to Chicago and came to my events and we met. Mm. And so, yeah, it was just kind of a an, a fun time and you know, we got married and I was working for Prince and it seemed like the right time to have a kid. So mm-hmm. I had my daughter in 2002 while I was still working for Prince. And he was always very, he was really in kind of a family mode at that time. He, mm-hmm. was, a, he was a Jehovah's Witness. So uh, he would encourage us, you know, in quotes, encourage us to go to Kingdom <laughs> Hall with him mm-hmm. and do Bible studies and stuff like that. So it was very kind of family oriented. Like I shouldn't be with my wife if we're not married that kind of thing yeah yeah my future wife so he was happy that we were getting married and that we were starting a family and i think he really appreciated that kind of family unit that mm-hmm. we were we, we were for him so he he was always very interested in having my daughter around and and she, he wanted to meet her right away and he was he was always great when she was around too that's cool mm-hmm. and so that's 2002 so you are there working with him for how long until what year so i worked with him from the end of 1998 to the end of 2007 okay so your daughter is five mm-hmm. at that time right and are you still married at that time yes okay then you are how long is it between that leave taking from working with him to your next kind of big i mean is that right when you go to pearl jam or yeah, I went to Pearl Jam about five months later in okay. May of 2008. Okay. And so I, I would say my marriage was kind of, it was definitely winding down in 2007. Mm-hmm. And so when I made the decision to go to Seattle, that's that's definitely where it was clear we were not going to continue forward in any way mm-hmm. when we were divorcing at that time. So I went to Seattle and they stayed in Chicago. Okay. And were you in Chicago during that whole time that you were working for Prince then? Yeah, so he was obviously based in Minneapolis, and mm-hmm. since we were we started out only doing internet projects at first, and he was very comfortable communicating online through Instant Messenger mm-hmm. on AOL, mm-hmm. uh, and so a lot of times we would just talk. You know, we do all our back and forth through Instant Messenger, and mm-hmm. I, I didn't necessarily have to be there in person, right? Uh, it was really only until um, I started actually going to meetings and um, working on other projects that I actually started going to Paisley Park. Mm-hmm. And even then, I wound up, you know, I'd just go for like a week and then I'd come back to Chicago because 
he kind of encouraged me to maybe move to Minneapolis, but he never made it a thing. So mm-hmm. I was just kind of like, well, it's probably better if I stay in Chicago because it, it's a 45 minute flight. So I'm really close, mm-hmm. but I'm not always there. So he can't burn me out because <laughs> I, I had enough foresight to see that he had a tendency to burn people out. Yeah. You know, and he the, would be waking you up in the middle of the, we got to do this. Yes. Yeah. It's very important. has to do it right now. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's never going to come out. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's just kind of the way it worked. Right. And so I, I could see that, you know, if I wanted to have any kind of longevity, it was probably better if we had that 500 mile buffer zone, mm-hmm. which uh, I think in the end last, that helped me last nine years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so when you're moving to Seattle, mm-hmm. How does the parenting work for you from there? I mean, is it something where you are flying your daughter out and having her come out? Or are you flying out to Chicago? Yeah, it, um, you know, it was definitely a hard decision to leave Chicago and leave them behind. I guess I felt like it was something I had to do. Like after Prince, I, f- I was kind of wondering what I was going to do next. It's, mm-hmm. It was being a Prince guy. It was kind of a big part of my identity. And mm-hmm. so... I was just thinking, well, if I'm not the Prince guy, then what am I? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> maybe I'll try being the Pearl Jam guy, see what that's like. Mm-hmm. It was something I and felt. Grow a beard. Sure. Grow a beard, grow my hair long. <laughs> yeah. Start wearing T-shirts. Um, so I thought I would try that out. But, you know, I definitely was concerned about Ava. And that's my daughter's name, Ava. So at first I was going back there a lot. I was going to Chicago probably about once a month hmm. just to kind of check in with them mm-hmm. and visit. And then they came out to visit um, a couple times during that period of time as well. I would fly Ava out. Uh, I was, it was even doing a thing where, you know, since she was so young, I would fly to Chicago, pick her up, essentially fly back to Seattle. Oh, wow. <laughs> She'd stay for a week. Then I would, we would both fly back to Chicago and then I would fly back to Seattle. Wow. Um, yeah, kind of a commuter thing with airplanes yeah Yeah. and then eventually she got really good at flying on her own so she would come out about four times a year and hang out with me in seattle and so it it kind of became nice because when we were in chicago we could just kind of focus on hanging out together as Mm -hmm. opposed to when i would go when she would come to seattle we'd just hang out together when i would go to chicago um we kind of had a lot of distractions she'd have things she'd have to do i'd have my parents there um, when we were in Seattle, we could just kind of hang out together. Mm-hmm. So it kind of became a, a nice sort of getaway for her. Yeah. Was your kind of like what I was talking about with your own stepdad and your mom and your dad? How was your communication level with your wife and or your ex-wife? And were you kind of having to make a bunch of compromises and see where she was with, I mean, where both of you were with whatever you were trying to do with her raising because at that point she's what between five and I don't how long were you in Seattle uh I wanted to be in Seattle for eight years oh okay so oh, okay so like five to 13 yeah okay yeah. so the some of the big years right mm-hmm. so are you having to like make a lot of joint decisions about all of her child rearing well, I guess, you know, in, in a similar way as it was with me, I'm just kind of, I'm letting, you know, her, my daughter's mom kind of lead the way on those decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, she has to deal with her on a day-to-day basis. Right. Um, you know, we do, we do talk, but, you know, like I'm aware of what they're doing, but at mm-hmm. the same time she, she gets to make the call on a lot of those things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just, I just kind of default to her. We do have a joint custody agreement, but I, you know, like I said, I do just kind of let her take the lead on those things. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, that's 
obviously the right kind of path to take for you, which I'm sure is a little bit of humbling mm-hmm. on your part as well. But mm-hmm. it sounds like you clearly are making the logical decision when she is the one who's having to, like you said, spend time with her on a daily basis. Right. I'm sure that that leads to a much easier conversation and relationship, quote unquote relationship Mm -hmm. with your ex as well for you to be kind of not stepping aside, but letting her kind of take the reins in that. So, right. Yeah. So so well done. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I mean, that's, you know, that's a tough thing when you're a dad and when you are in this partnership and the partnership is no longer a true partnership to have to, I see it because I have a lot of friends that have baby daddies Mm -hmm. and I know that's a lot different, but they do have to combine efforts with them. And I see the struggle that they have, the power struggle and Mm -hmm. trying to talk their baby daddies through why they are doing certain things and Mm -hmm. why they are making certain plans and whatnot. And Mm -hmm. I see how much of a fight it can be. So yeah, 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 definitely. I I think that that's, you know, there's definitely a priority for me is to keep things very smooth and very cooperative. And, you know, we want to keep it very calm and stable for Ava as well. Right. I mean, that's the priority number one in Mm -hmm. all of that is her. So yeah, she will thank you for it when she's (laughs) our age. Yes. Yeah. She's kind of going through a little moody teenager phase right now, but uh, good times. But uh, yeah, no, she's a, she's a great kid. Yeah. What is she leaning towards in life? I mean, she's kind of getting close to that post. Mm-hmm. She's right in the middle of high school, I assume. She's just about to start high school. So her oh. her birthday is okay. in late October. So all right, she kind of missed the uh, the window as far as um, you know the the age range of, mm-hmm. of school. So she's just going into freshman year next year. Okay, in the fall. So. She is actually going to a high school in Chicago that um, has a good acting program. Hmm. She's interested in the performing arts. Cool. So we're encouraging that. And she had to audition for it and she got in. So we're excited about that. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, I think she's excited about me coming to L.A. because obviously. (laughs) Yeah, you're in the hotbed now. There there are a couple actors here in L.A. Uh, Yeah, a few. A few. Every time you turn your head, basically. So it's a little more interesting for her to come visit than Seattle um, yeah. in that way. We'll see how it changes over the next four years. but Right. Or <laughs> the next every minute. Yeah. <laughs> that, and that's not a sexist comment. That's an age comment. Right. Okay. No, I get it. Yeah. I'm, my daughter's only eight, so I'm not really at that yet. But mm-hmm. she she tries to be like a teenager mm-hmm. at times. It's, yeah. very, it's very interesting. <laughs> and I'm trying to gear up and find local monasteries uh-huh. to send her to right. and you know the, all of the right chastity belts and <laughs> everything all the uh-huh. nunneries and everything yep. i can do yep. yeah so now that you are kind of getting towards those teenage later years and everything what are your hopes for her moving forward i, I mean are you wanting her to be an actress are you wanting are you just wanting general success and good health <laughs> and happiness and whatever? Or are you kind of trying to guide her into as much as you can into any kind of specific area? 
Well, you know, I think it's it, since she is so still so young. Mm-hmm. I still I think it is kind of she is sort of sorting this stuff out, and so I I don't know if she's firmly cemented her her path in one way or the other. So yeah. As far as any guidance, you know, I, I guess I'm just trying to make it clear to her that you know these things take a lot of work, so it's not something to just take lightly. Like yeah. you're going to have to apply yourself and actually do it. You know, I, I think it's a trap that kids now kind of fall into because we have kind of a reality TV show, celebrity culture thing. Yeah. There's kind of a sense that anyone can be famous for, right. any, for no reason. Thanks a lot. Kardashians. Yeah. And, and you don't really have to do anything and, and people will just kiss your ass and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and so I'm trying to kind of temper that a little bit with like, no, actually, people don't just hand you million dollar checks and want to follow you around with cameras. Like you actually, right. Most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Have to apply yourself and actually, and do some well, you know, and the people, the, the entertainers that she looks up to like Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, people mm. like that, mm-hmm. you know, I try and point out like the path that they went, that they went to second city. Amy Poehler went to started upright citizens brigade here in LA. And yeah. then, um, you know, they, all these things, are stuff that they worked at for years. Like Saturday Night Live just didn't happen overnight. Like they, yeah. they put in their time. Um, and I think she's aware of that, but just trying to, just trying to show her that, you know, yeah, like you, you need to work on these skills yeah. if you, if you want to achieve something. It's hard. I, I, I think about my parents and the different things that I used to want to be or do over many years. And I remember my dad being that, reality check and saying, you know, if I said, I want to be a a baseball player or whatever, and he would say, just know that one in every, (laughs) you know, whatever number, whatever ridiculous number it was, will actually become a baseball player. And I would think, okay, I'm not going to do, you know, it was, it was kind of the extremist side where my mom is the absolute opposite to Uh this day. Like, you know, if, if I, wanted to do because forever ago i used to want to do radio and she Uh would say you would be amazing Mm -hmm. your voice is like sugary gold (laughs) and you are gonna just be the greatest person on radio ever Uh and you know i did my little bit of acting when i was a kid that was horrible (laughs) and i mean to the point where i was in a play in a play in laguna on the same stage where uh, Harrison Ford oh, yeah. first got his start mm-hmm. as well as got his famous scar on oh, his chin. Okay. Uh, I'll have you know, not that I had anything to do with it, but I was in a play and it was a Saturday matinee and I was a cat and I had a crush on this girl, Erwin. I remember her name and she was petting me like she was supposed to do. Uh-huh. And I was kind of laying on the stage like a cat would. <laughs> and she was kind of petting my back, and I was lost. Mm-hmm. I mean, completely like this <laughs> awesome girl is uh-huh. like touching me, and I'm laying <laughs> on the stage. And I remember it hitting me that it was totally silent, uh-huh. and nobody was saying anything. And then I kind of looked around, and everybody on stage was staring at me. Uh-huh. And it was my line, and I did not realize because I was completely lost in oh, yeah. heaven, you uh-huh. know creating these wild fantasies with everyone. Yeah, exactly. And somebody whispered like the line from right. offstage and it was a nightmare. It was horrible. Mm-hmm. And so anyways, but my mom probably said even after that play, you're going to be the best actor <laughs> ever. 
Yeah, I, so. I, I think there's there's kind of a cliche also in parenting now where, you know, where parents are just overly supportive and mm-hmm. everyone gets medals for participation. Mm-hmm. And yes. You can be whatever you want to be and all that kind yeah. of thing. And I, I think it needs to be some kind of, you know, balance. Like, of course, you should encourage your children to to follow whatever dream they want to do, you know, right. and and just, ma- like I said, just kind of make it clear that these things just don't just happen. Like, if you want to do it, go out and do it. Yeah. But, like, you're going to have to really apply yourself. Yeah. So now that you are kind of going down to L.A. or mm-hmm. are in L.A., how long have you been in L.A. now? Uh, since January, so not too long. Okay. So as you are... Now your daughter is 15 and you were with your mom and stepdad until you were what, eight, 18? Yeah, I was, I left when I was 18. Yeah. So do you think that you see anything that you took from either your mom, your stepdad or your dad that you kind of see yourself doing with your daughter, whether on the good or on the bad of it, or is it, is it a little bit more removed because of the fact that you are in the position you're in where you're deferring a little bit to your ex-wife? I think it's a little bit removed. I mean, um, you know, my ex-wife complains a bit that I get to be the Disney dad. Mm-hmm. And now that, it, now that I'm here in Southern California, you I'm really are, I'm literally the Disney. Dad. Yeah. Um, because I get to like, you know, Ava gets to come out, we get to have fun and we get to run around. I don't have to deal with, you know, getting her up for school, mm-hmm. making sure she's fed all the, all the kind of a day-to-day things. So, um, you know, it's a little, it's a little challenging when she's here to kind of be that authoritarian figure. But at the same time, I do try and have a relationship with her that is parent and child and not like I'm your best friend or we're buddy, buddy, but Mm -hmm. like, you know, like you're here and I'm taking care of you for this period of time. And, you know, there are going to be rules and, and we're going to have fun, but you know, it doesn't mean that you can just do whatever you want. Right. You know, just to make sure she understands that, like, you know, I am her father and she does, she does have a father Mm -hmm. and it's me. And that when she's living with me, that's my role. Yeah. But yeah, it is, it is a challenge. I, you know, I think that was a challenge coming to visit my dad when I was in high school. I think he wanted to be kind of more of a buddy, buddy kind of situation. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, I'm just a kid and I don't necessarily need that. I need more of a, more of a father figure. Yeah. Uh, so I do try and be aware of that when she's around. And I get a little bit of that even from my wife because she's home mm-hmm. with the kids during the duration of the day. And then I come home and it's, you know, it's there's stuff to be done. It's dinner time. It's shower time. It's bedtime. But I didn't have to deal with all the days, eruptions or whatever right. may have gone on. And then, you know, I'm there for the weekend's throughout the entire day for the most part. And uh, so I know there's a little bit of that Mm -hmm. in normal workspace of a man being gone of the dad being gone at work all day for these stay at home moms. Mm -hmm. And I've talked with a lot of our friends that are stay at home moms. And I see that a little bit. There's Mm -hmm. a, a tiny bit of that. I don't know, not resentment, but that feeling of you're getting a little of the easy right bit because you're coming home and right. only dealing with that small piece. So yeah, well, I I you know I had those issues with my ex wife too while we were married. I think mm-hmm. 
I mean, I would definitely call it resentment in, in the sense that she was also a stay-at-home mom. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was doing well enough with Prince that she could just stay home. And we thought that was a good idea. But, you know, I got to go hang out with rock stars. And right. she, she felt like people don't value stay-at-home moms. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't consider that a real job or anything important. So we get around people and they just want to hear like, oh, what's Prince like? And they don't care like what she's contributing to the situation right. to the household. And I don't feel that I personally ever made her feel like she was mm-hmm. doing anything deficient. But I guess in her mind, it just kind of built up and she would kind of get very resentful about it. Yeah. And um, it was a problem. And I think as far as her identity as a woman, you know, she was struggling with, am I just a mother? Is that all I, is that the only value I have mm-hmm. right now? Or am I like my own person? Right. Which is a huge freaking value. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I got some of this from my wife before I started this podcast of, is this just going to be a, a wife bashing podcast <laughs> you and a bunch of your dad friends are going to come on and complain about your wives and moms and whatnot. And I was like, no, like I kind of see it in almost the opposite sense. Like we will talk about whatever, but, uh, and, and a lot of the dads that I've had on have kind of gone into that a little bit and made a very firm point of saying, I celebrate my wife. You know, we celebrate these women, our moms, because of what they did and what they had to do throughout the course of the day, which is intense and many days way tougher than our jobs that we have to do. Mm -hmm. And what they are building in our children is very important. And we see that importance because that is our child as well. And we Mm -hmm. are also having to deal with that. Like if they were just slacking Mm -hmm. on their job, quote unquote, (laughs) then we would come home to a nightmare situation every day. Right. So let's just, we'll just say that we love you moms. <laughs> mm-hmm. We celebrate you guys, but this is really about dads. So <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, I, I, I think it's another, it's an interesting thing too. Cause um, you know, I think one of the outcomes of the feminist movement is that um, there was kind of a thing of like, well, we, we don't need to be stay at home moms anymore. Women can have their own identity. They can have their own role in the workplace. And all those things are very important, but I think um, at the same time, sometimes that turns into people looking down on stay-at-home moms. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you're still kind of holding on to these old, old, old ways. But I really think that the the goal of feminism is really about choice, and so it's about a woman being able to choose to stay at home with a child if she right. wants to, as opposed to being forced to in the past because she didn't have any other option. Yeah. So, like these these roles are still important roles for women to have, and it's now fortunately. It's a it's a choice for women. They're not forced into it. But I, you know, it, sometimes I think people tend to look down at like, oh, you're just a stay at home mom. What's wrong with you? Especially like, I know our household was in and you know a pretty you know well to do neighborhood in Chicago where there was a lot of Type A personalities on the mother and the father side. So mm-hmm. there were a lot of mothers who were like, I was a VP at whatever. I'm not sitting around with the kid, you know, and they'd kind of look down on that. Right. Well, I. I just thought of this, that this is kind of interesting. If you think about the generation that we are in and how many, I I mean, I, I don't have an actual figure, but it seems to me that there are a lot of stay at home moms right now. And I think that generation is a lot of latchkey kids. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of these moms today that are in our age group mm-hmm. were latchkey kids. And so, 
subliminal or not, or a conscious thought making process, like they were in a different, a very different situation when they were kids. And so that is potentially feeding into a lot of that. And that may be part of why they are making that important decision to Mm -hmm. not have their kid be what they were. Right. And the difference between then and now, I mean, when, when we were kids, you couldn't really get into as much trouble as you can. (laughs) Now, as you're a kid, I can't imagine my kids just having complete non-parenting at home. Yeah, that's crazy. I'm just walking to school when I was six by myself, like three blocks I couldn't imagine sending my kid three blocks by themselves. Yeah. When they were six. <laughs> yeah. Or, I mean, all of it, you know, the, you hear about it all the time, how we used to stay out and play till the streetlights went out. Yeah. I mean, in any neighborhood, no matter where you were, that was kind of what you did back then. And yeah. it's just not that way out. Go riding bikes in the forest or, you know, yeah. all these kind of things. Yeah. Seriously. I think we've basically gone over the parenting thing pretty much. Thank you for coming down from LA to Orange County. <laughs> you can find him at samjennings.com, Sam Jennings on Twitter. You can find him there through his is your Instagram also Sam Jennings? Um no. Oh, Sam Nation 3000. <laughs> oh, okay. Did you try to get Sam Jennings and it was taken already? I probably did. Oh, okay. I might have been a late comer to Instagram. Okay. Well, if they know. go if they go to samjennings.com, all the links are at the top so you can cool. find me on all the social medias. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, we will lead into our next episode. Uh, That will probably come out in a week or two weeks after this episode where you can hear Sam and I talk about Prince, about Pearl Jam, about cats. (laughs) All right. So thank you. All right, and that was the end of the first episode with Sam and myself talking about parenting. And again, you can find him on Twitter at Sam Jennings. You can find his website, samjennings.com, which has links at the top to all of the other ways you can follow and find his work and some of his personal stuff as well. Sam, I can't thank you enough for coming down here and doing this episode again I throw that out there because it was so fantastic sitting down with him and he was from the get-go so on board with helping out and doing this recording and really is a genuine fantastic guy which I got right off the bat but also got during the few hours that we sat here and talked together so again thank you so much thank you also to Katie who sat in here with us which that's a whole nother story but katie and i have known each other since high school so that was really cool again you can find daddy unscripted on the internet at daddyunscripted.com which is where you can find a blog post that will include a little bit more information about sam and some photos as well etc and you can find daddy unscripted at instagram at Facebook and on Twitter, all as Daddy Unscripted. 
you can send me an email at daddyunscripted at gmail.com or you can send me a message on any of those platforms. I love hearing from you guys. I've been getting some great ideas for guests and contacting them. And this line has just gone to some fantastic places, not only through the guests that I've been having, but through people that you've been telling me you want to hear from or hear about. So keep that up. It's, it's really what continues to drive the show and keeps us going towards our one year mark, which I guess I should figure out when that's coming so I can have kind of an anniversary party. But thanks so much for your support for listening. It might be time to get a sponsor soon. And so you guys have been living in a world of no ads on Daddy Unscripted, and maybe that will change sometime soon. We'll see. Dunkin' Donuts. I'm looking at you guys. Beta brand. Me undies. Again, thanks always to Umphreys McGee for providing the music and for allowing me to have that partnership with you guys to have their music. So check out umphreys.com. That's U-M-P-H-R-E-Y-S.com. And again, stay tuned for the next episode with Sam, which will come out in a week or two after this one. So thank you very much. Thank you very much.